Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Web3 Native Podcast. Today, we're going to one of the most critical topics of Web3, which is smart accounts, safe, and the future of mass AA adoption. And of course, uh, who better to speak about this than Lucas, who's a co-founder of SAFE. Hello, Lucas. Thanks for having me, Shita. All right. I'm really excited about this conversation because in the past, we have actually explored a related topic or talked about SAFE already, right? We had uh, Stefan on and he talked about the history of Gnosis and how we, we came to like uh, build SAFE. Uh, we spoke to Tarun from CoinShift uh, and uh, explored how like DAOs are actually using SAFE. It was more from a perspective of DAOs. But more recently, uh, the idea of smart accounts and account extraction has just taken over Web3. And it is now obvious that it's going to be one of the most important pieces. So in order for us to visualize that, I want to just take us to the future a little bit. The year is 2020 something, let's say 25, 26, 27. And we're in the middle of this the next bull cycle, right? Dapps are mainstream. Everybody's using smart accounts. Lucas, can you walk us through uh, that user journey? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Yeah. Um, so actually, when we uh, did a spin-off of Safe last year, uh, so Safe is a spin-off from Gnosis, um, we yeah, sat together and said, well, what's really the long-term mission we want to achieve as a team? Uh, and then we said by 2030, it's a little bit more longer time horizon, but by 2030, we wanted every account in Web3 should be a smart account. And so no matter whether it's like an account of a DAO, whether it's an account of a company, of, a, of an individual, like all of them should be smart accounts. Um, so we set ourselves this, this long-term goal. Now, about one and a half years later, I actually think uh, it was not ambitious enough. I think we will be there much faster. Um, like a couple of things came together. Obviously, the, uh, the entire... Um, excitement about ERC-4337 and the terminology around the account abstraction that popped up and a lot of people suddenly uh, seeing the same uh, vision and uh, contributing to that. And also the faster enhancement of, of layer tools uh, that just enable uh, smart accounts because they add gas overhead and that's usually only justified on, on layer twos. Um, and so, yeah, let's say in 2027, six, seven, there, there will be, all accounts will be smart accounts. How will this look like? Um, this means that as a user, when you start using Web3, um, you might not even realize that you use Web3 at the beginning at all. So um, you might just use, uh, be it like a, a social application, a messaging platform, uh, a game, and you might use it like you use Web2, like a traditional game or something that there's not much of a difference. Um, you log in with your email account, you log in with Apple ID or something like this, um, and you get assigned under the hood a smart account. Uh, and that's one of the things that's enabled through uh, smart accounts that you can have these uh, progressive security implementations where you start off with something that might not be the, the ideal end case scenario. So, uh, like maybe just a simple MPC key that's that's controlling your account and uh, controlled for your social logins. Uh, but then as you start playing the game, you accumulate assets, as you start uh, like interacting with other Web3 applications and you actually have 
uh, gain attestations, assets, whatever, you build up an identity and it becomes more valuable, uh, then you can change from this very simple, like social login uh, system to maybe a more advanced system where you have like a like the hardware device that's securing your account or you have a multi-factor uh, setup. Um, but just this progressive security allows people to just onboard much more easily to, to Web3 as said, without even knowing that Web3 is used under the hood um, and just expose the, uh, the technicalities at the later point where they actually become relevant. Um, and this means that Web3 can in, just immerse itself much more in our daily life uh, without being too intrusive. Uh, so we might just use our regular applications and there might be some, some Web3 aspect to it, uh, but it will not be as, as obvious as it is today. Absolutely. I, I hear you talking about making it invisible. So that's speaking about UX and I hear you talking about security and progressive security, how we can add those on. Uh, and in the past, we kind of had that, uh, but then it was a centralized alternative, right? People were like, hey, we can make blockchain invisible, but what ended up happening is people just created Coinbase accounts, Binance accounts, and you do trading, you do staking, you do every launch pad, like all the stuff you need to do, you do it through centralized. And now you can do the same and have the same experience from a non-custodial, uh, self-sovereign way. And in fact, uh, of course, and everybody's talking about this, among the many people uh, is of course Vitalik himself, and he has written a blog post about the three transitions and all three of them, he writes, are non-negotiable. All three are mandatory for mass adoption to come. Uh, and of course, one uh, key pillar there is smart contract wallets. Uh, he wrote there that uh, without smart contract wallets, people will be uncomfortable using uh, Web3 apps and they will end up defaulting to centralized exchanges. What, where do you think, uh, why did he make that point? Is it a combination of his UX and security? Are there other aspects uh, that make it mandatory? Yeah. yeah, and Vitalik actually explicitly said Ethereum would fail if this doesn't happen. Uh, so that, that's quite some strong words that if we don't move, if we don't transition uh, users to smart contract wallets or smart accounts, uh, that Ethereum would fail as it is because uh, people would just default back to, uh, to centralized solutions uh, and like it, it becomes like a pseudo decentralized system, but at the front end where it's actually relevant, uh, it's all like centralized players after all. Mm. Um, and I think this is definitely a combination of user experience and, and security, which which leads to that, like if you look at current self-custodial wallets, um, like the first thing, like you, you download an app or you download a browser extension, and then the user is asked to write down this 12 uh, word uh, seed phrase, uh, on a piece of paper or whatever, and uh, store it somewhere secure, but not too secure that you forget where you stored it <laughs> five years later. Um, so that's like obviously like a huge UX hurdle, but it also introduces like security risk. Like you have this 12 words. Uh, if, if someone else gets these 12 words, they can just withdraw all the assets from, from your account. It's a single point of failure. Um, there's no backup. Like recovery mechanism besides this this one uh, seed phrase. Um, so smart contract wallet like just open up the solution space massively. Like it, it leads to this like Cumbrian explosion of like a lot of different solutions that address different UX and security challenges within Web3. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I mentioned before with 
the easy onboarding that you have like a seatless onboarding where maybe at the beginning there's some custodial or semi-custodial aspect to it. Maybe the the game provider has also some some key and cosine transactions for you that in case you lose the key, they they can still give you back access to account and the key is then stored in a less secure manner, maybe locally on your computer and abstracted away from the user. Um, so the UX of onboarding can be massively improved. Also the UX around gas. Um, so it's still quite some learning curve until you understand how to manage gas in a way that your transactions don't get stuck or like you, you're not overpaying and like even though uh, there have been some some improvements there. Yeah. Uh, and you have to get the tokens I, in the first place, right? Exactly. <laughs> we don't get to start doing anything. Yeah. And it's it's so weird because you don't go to like a, a regular website and then you're asked to have some like AWS credits to pay for the AWS bills that the website which is hosted somewhere is, is, is causing. So this is also somehow like these minor fees are abstracted away in Web2. Uh, so some third party is subsidizing the costs of running an application, of using that application, and it's somehow, through another way, uh, the, the cost is then subsidized. And I think that's also where we're directionally going in Web3, that uh, these gas fees are paid by, by third parties that have a, an interest in these transactions happening. Uh, say if I make a swap on, on Uniswap, and Uniswap actually has some revenue mechanism uh, that creates a profit out of this uh, this trade. Like they have a big interest that this transaction is happening and they would be perfectly fine to pay for the comparatively low transaction fees. And if this increases the user experience for for user and it attracts more usage, um, I think that's, that's where we're definitely going. Mm. Um, but also on, on the security side, um, there's much that can be done with uh, smart contract wallets around recovery, for example. Um, Vitalik Buterin often says this uh, like social recovery as, as a prime use case there that you may have, you may still have the private key, but you also have a group of friends uh, or family that can recover your account. Um, mm -hmm. as, like, this has been done already long time ago by Archon. You have this uh, Archon Guardians system where you can nominate like other people, like friends and family to be recover in your account. Uh, I'm personally not 100% convinced this is really the uh, one and only recovery solutions that, that we will have. I think many people would rather have like a trusted third party, be it like a financial institution or insurance or something like this, like a custodian, be a recover of, of that account. Um, because putting that trust on your friends and family um, like it's also a lot of responsibilities. Uh, you need to trust that these people know how to uh, do proper OPSEC around their recovery keys. And yeah, I think there's just going to be like a more of a spectrum of different solutions around recovery that will be done. Uh, but also, what's what's nice about uh, smart contract wallets is that you can delegate individual responsibilities to different stakeholders. So it's not just the recovery uh, responsibility or, or functionality. You can also say Whenever I do a transaction, I want to have some third party be able to uh, like intervene if they see that this transaction is uh, malicious or I got scammed or something like this. Um, so they cannot trigger themselves transaction on my account, but they can flag transactions and say, uh, this is maybe something you should do 
a second look at. And uh, yeah, there's, I said like there's going to be a, a huge explosion of different solutions that leverage the program programmability of, of smart contract wallets and like just surface these new uh, solutions. And then it's more like the market that will decide which of these security and UX solutions will actually be the ones that will be adopted. Mm, right. There, there's so much unpacked there. I think you just rattle off like five, six different use cases. Uh, if I may just take one minute to step back, right? Uh, we we took we spoke about like uh, a account extraction. We also uh, you mentioned smart contract wallets many times. Uh, Safe is trying to push the idea of smart accounts, and there's also uh, this ERC four thirty seven term being bandied about. Uh, if we can just take a step back and just explain very quickly uh, what these different terms. Uh, mean are there like subtle differences or do we just use all of them interchangeably at this point? Yeah, um, I think our industry is quite good at coming up with terminology that's uh, yeah that has nice memeable abbreviations but doesn't mean much to like regular people <laughs> uh, like NFT DAO like uh, and now like AA might be some of this like account abstraction it's uh, it's like one term that, that gained a lot of uh, momentum uh, because it's also like, yeah, it has this like AA abbreviation, which is sounds quite, quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I'll try to untangle the different terminology there. Um, maybe starting with, with smart accounts. Um, so we have this like primary type of account in Ethereum uh, chains that is the, the private key account. So that's like, low level on the consensus layer of the blockchain. It's like a hard-coded type of account, which just says like accounts are controlled by a private key. And if you have private key, yeah, you can do transactions on the account. If you don't have the private key, you cannot do transactions. So like very binary logic in a sense. Um, and then there's this second type of account, which is a smart contract account. Um, so every smart contract that's deployed is also an account on the blockchain. Um, and the idea there that uh, and these are, we, we call it smart accounts um, because you can create user-based accounts. So it's not a smart contract that's like an AMM, but it's actually a smart contract that represents a user on, on the blockchain. Um, so it holds the assets of the user. It, it defines the access control for the user, like in under what circumstances can the user trigger transactions? Uh, so you, lift all the logic from these like private key accounts that are in the consensus layer on the smart contract layer. Um, and this then just allows the accounts to be actually smart, like uh, that you can program different functionalities into them. Uh, they can behave differently for different users. Uh, so it can be like a more corporate account that has hierarchies. It can be an individual account that maybe focuses more on like two-factor authentication and social economy and these things. Um, that's the smart account, just smart contract based accounts. And then often used interchangeably is smart contract wallets. Um, so there has already for a long time been a lot of controversy about the term wallets <laughs> because it's uh, even with private key accounts, it's yeah controversial. Like it's uh, wallet is not just about um, like money, it's also about identity and like this. Uh, a huge debate about whether we should have gone down this road of, of using wallets. But anyways, like um, I, I would say the difference to smart accounts is that wallets, smart contract wallets are more about the user interface. Um, so how do we interact with your smart account? Uh, be it like 
through some software or through an embedded uh, wallet in an application. Um, so that's that. And then account abstraction, which is probably the term most people have heard already uh, in the past months, is more about the initiatives uh, to uh, make these smart accounts first-class citizens within Ethereum. Um, so because private key accounts have been hard-coded on the consensus layer, uh, they've been, they're pretty much a standard, like everyone accepts them. It's, uh, they're, um, like the blockchain is optimized for them in a way. And account abstraction is a collection of efforts to uh, alleviate the, the smart accounts to be on the same level as, as private key accounts because Right now, smart accounts still need, at some point in the transaction lifecycle, uh, a private key to actually pay for the transaction fees, because that's how the, the blockchain works on a low level. Um, and one of the efforts to change that is ERC-4337, uh, where you say that technically there's still some private key involved in a, in a bundler. Um, so that's why it's like an application level change. It's not yet uh, like native account abstraction. Um, but the user doesn't need to have a private key anymore. So they can just uh, have the transaction built themselves and then they pass it into this decentralized uh, network of, uh, of bundlers and they then have the logic to execute the transaction on chain. Um, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of other uh, efforts like ERC1271, which deals more about how can smart accounts sign messages um, and yep, um, ERC six nine zero zero or like thirty seventy four, um, or like how can a private key migrate into uh, a smart account? And like there's a bunch of different initiatives that collectively make account abstraction. Even though usually uh, the focus is mostly on this ERC four three three seven, which um, yeah was kickstarting the excitement about the account abstraction. Uh, it's also the one that yeah and. End of last year, uh, it was like pushed quite a lot from the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, they built up a team around uh, like yeah, building up this ERC four three three seven ecosystem. Uh, but we actually think that like four three three seven will be the start of a lot of things we have to do uh, to really achieve a concept section because um, it's also going to be like a, a wicked problem like. Moving to smart contract wallets will actually introduce new challenges. Um, they like new new risks. Like if suddenly every account is a is smart contract. Um, I mean, we know how it works with DeFi protocols and bridges that are smart contracts. They get hacked all the time, uh, and we should not go into the same direction where smart accounts uh, are like on a, on a weekly basis being exploited. Um, so yeah, um, that's. Uh, Entire rabbit hole itself with the challenges that will come with the concept section, but uh, yeah. Mm. All right, yeah. So we we have evolved uh, a long way from like hey, just calling it like hey smart contract wallets now to like making it smart by implying more modules and having components like ERC four three seven which uh, abstract away the gas component, the signing component, but ultimately everybody's pushing towards the the larger goal of account extraction where it. It's as we discussed, like invisible to the user or seamless for the user, right? And although that introduces new questions, uh, it is a concerted effort 
be it from like a standard standpoint, everybody uh, agreeing to like uh, enable or accepting signing of like smart contract wallets, uh, building modules, make sure making sure it's secure, and so on. Uh, and so let's let's go into what it looks like today, right? Uh, you mentioned quite a few possibilities just now, be it from uh, the signing perspective, making it uh, such that you don't need wallets, you just use your email or you just use your Apple ID. And then we spoke about the kind of multi-sig slash security, right? Uh, as I want to recover, I can have social recovery. I could have like semi-custodial uh, setup with the application or maybe my government, my bank, whoever it is. I can also add now more functionalities that uh, that is uh, specific for my use case. Um, so what is it what does the landscape look like today for the safe ecosystem modules or more broadly uh the the modules for account extraction are there certain leading examples that you are most excited about they're live and usable today yeah um so the the way how safe initially got traction is through like the multi-signature functionality uh, so we just have a way for um, not just one private key to control an account, but it's actually multiple private keys, and you have a threshold of like how many of those you need uh, to to make transactions. Um, and that that was taking off for a lot of teams that wanted a, a higher security standard for their treasuries. Um, a lot of these team, teams then became more community driven, and they needed to have ways uh, for not just like a small group of people like a founding team to uh, control assets, but actually a much uh, wider audience of, of token holders. Um, so because we saw also that like accounts, they they shouldn't be uh, put in stone and the, they, they need to stay flexible. Like uh, as, as the usage of an account uh, like evolves, um, you might start with like, having some assets on the account and then we accumulate more assets or uh, suddenly there's like a uh, like a soul bound token on the account which you don't dare to lose and, and just, uh, just the risk appetite and the uh, balance between user experience versus security always changes and different uh, access control schemes uh, kind of need to work in parallel and so that's why safe from the beginning was uh, designed as a as a modular smart account um, so you start like you start off having like a multi-sig uh, account, but then you can add modules to this account um, that have their own logic, their own functionality, and that just augments what the account can do. Um, so one example there, one of the earliest examples actually how this was used in like production or, or widely was uh, the Zodiac Reality module. Um, so that's describing a little bit the progression I talked before about, about the team, the core team decentralizing itself and having a, a community take ownership of, uh, of assets of a treasury. Uh, so like a safe can be augmented with this Zodiac Reality module, which then allows uh, a snapshot space. So a place where decision-making is done, usually in, uh, in, in the DAO context. Uh, with a decentralized community, how these decisions can then be translated into transactions on the account in a, in a trustless manner. Um, so the, the Zodiac Reality module basically takes a, an oracle, which then tells what action has been decided upon by the community, 
and executes that via transaction on the safe. Uh, and then this this allows this kind of progressive decentralization of of, uh, of a community. Um, there's other modules that have been built and, and used in production, like the spending limit module. Uh, we use this ourselves. Uh, we have a, a safe that we use within the team uh, to make payments. And uh, the spending limit module allows you to delegate uh, allowances to to other parties. Um, and they don't have to be uh, signers in this account. They don't have to be one of the multi-sig signers. They can be completely independent. Then you just say this other person with its own wallet uh, has access to withdraw or send uh, up to a certain amount of assets per day, per week, per year, whatever. Um, and we use this within the team to say, yeah, like obviously bigger transactions, we want to have consensus within the team that not suddenly someone from the team is running away with uh, for the money. Uh, but for smaller transactions, we actually have budgets and different people can have, have different budgets and they can then execute independently without asking the others for, for permission. Uh, and they get these spending limits on the account uh, of like, thousand USDC per, per month, for example. Um, and, and this just creates much more efficient processes in a team. Um, yeah, then there's other interesting modules that have been built that are dealing more with uh, cross-chain functionality. Uh, so how can one account control another account on a different chain by an arbitrary message bridge? So you have this AMB module, uh, which you can attach to your safe and say this other safe on this other chain is actually controlling me through this message bridge. Um, and this allows you to trigger a transaction on one chain but execute it then on a different chain. Um, like other things that, like besides also the recovery uh, functionality uh, we talked about. Are in-house uh, built by safe or which parts of these that you just mentioned, like the spending limits and the AMB are built by safe versus external modules? Yeah. So actually, the, the spending limits is the only one we've built within the team. Um, that's that's a cool thing about these modules is that anyone can build them, um, and that you can use modules that someone else built as long as they're like open source and deployed on on the chain. Um, the challenge is obviously how how can I trust someone else's code? Uh, so uh, if if teams create these modules and uh, Put them out for everyone else to use. Like we need to find ways to, uh, yeah, have people feel confident about using this because only then we start having these, like actually this e ecosystem where people can contribute these modules and how they use them and like there's composability in that. If you've seen a uh, like an audit for for the smart contract code, it's uh, you probably trust it, but it should it should be a more less yeah, it shouldn't need trusted environment uh, to to really make make this work. Um, yeah, because the the problem is is that or kind of the challenge is that these modules obviously they have certain uh, access to your account. So it's like uh, installing an application on your computer. Uh, obviously, you can build a permissioning system that says like this application can be installed, but they cannot suddenly wipe my entire hard drive or something like that. There's some level of permissioning system that has to be implemented there that then allows people to uh, to activate these, these extensions to install these modules. 
um, yeah, that, that's something we're uh, currently planning to to build out uh, because we've seen uh, teams building modules and using them themselves, but we haven't yet seen uh, this what's going to be quite powerful, like this like ecosystem of like different teams building and or some using someone else's modules. Mm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love that we are already talking about this modular future, right? And in fact, recently we wrote a piece about the future of account extraction and we have a few key uh, predictions of like what transitions we'll see. The first key one is that we're going to see a much more modular system, right? Where not everybody can build everything. And why do you want to rebuild everything yourself, right? Hey, there is a secure multi-sig that has withstood the test of time, which is safe. And let's use that uh, for uh, all the high value transactions or high value assets. And then we can use that, we can use other modules, right? For signing, for uh, and then certain like logic modules, like you said, which could be around uh, social recovery, could be around like uh, transaction checking, around like uh, scam preventions, and then on the execution side as well. Uh, let's say with uh, Paymaster and, and Bundler or certain like kind of relays, uh, you don't always have to build everything yourself, right? And that's where we foresee that some of these modules, uh, as they gain more uh, adoption through either other wallets or users directly, then you start to build up network effects. And also the more users use them, the more mm. you get to trust them. Uh, and so they build up linear effect, right? So partly overcomes, hopefully, some of the security concerns. Because if everybody's building your own new module, you need to get audited again and test battle test it again. Uh, and exactly. you might introduce new vulnerabilities there. Yeah. 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 Now, the the other uh the second uh transition that we have predicted is that because now we have all these different modules now you can almost kind of pick and choose what you want and assemble that together to form specialized smart accounts for different purposes and we have kind of seen that already for for example safe itself even the vanilla multi-sig we have seen for example coinship built sort of like a front end and i know they've gone gone a little bit down the stack uh, but the whole all the features and ux is tailored to its large organizations, large DAOs. How can you do payroll? How can you do accounting and like audits and so on? Uh, and, and handle many different subdivisions and payroll and different uh, people and roles who will need to handle that. Uh, and that has become really popular among the large organizations. Now we've also seen other wallets that can specialize into, let's say, NFT collectors and making sure they can like discover the NFTs or like. Uh, simulate certain transactions, delegate things so they can claim airdrops and so on. We might see other new wallets come up specialized in things like gaming. You might need session keys so that you just sign in once and you can sign many transactions throughout that uh, session of gaming uh, or DeFi focused ones, which might have even more optimizations around things like MEV or privacy if I'm going to use it for different purposes. So uh, in, in terms of specialization and like we're getting closer to the application level, uh, what do you see today? Uh, in the landscape, and what role does safe play in that landscape now? Mm. Yeah, and I definitely recommend anyone to to read that article because I thought it was very yeah. uh, well researched and very thorough. Um, Thank you. Like, yeah, exactly. Like the, the modularity enables this this specialization. Um, so you have um, uh, that's actually important that like this specialization comes through like a modular approach uh, because it, like you could also have like the specialization by, by saying like I just built a completely new smart account and it, it's very good at 
like targeting like the gaming use case or uh, like it's this social social media kind of smart account and or like a DeFi specialized and but then as you say like we we get into this world where we build just uh, we duplicate too too much of the functionality and this creates huge security risk because every line of smart contract code that's written is like uh, should be minimized as much as possible. Um, so that's why uh, we believe that like smart accounts will be uh, not specialized, so there will be general purpose. Uh, but the smart smart wallets, so smart contract wallets, on top of that, they they should then be specialized by using by kind of piecing together the different modules of the smart account. Um, so there's like smart accounts should just be unopinionated of how it's going to be used, but then the modules add this specialization, which then the smart contract world packages into one uh, unified solutions. Um, and we see projects leveraging that, like uh, Brahma, um, that builds um, like a, a DeFi oriented uh, solution that uses like modules to automate things and to uh, yeah just optimize more on efficient treasury management. Um, and we see other solutions that specialize on on more like individuals. Uh, so how can we leverage smart accounts to make like easy onboarding to uh, create good recovery mechanisms? One is definitely a linen wallet, uh, which has been building on, on such a solution on say for for a while. Another one is um, like world coin, and a lot of people don't know this, but every world coin account. Um, like is a safe in, in the end um, and they plan this not just like to, to use it as a, as a way to streamline ux by abstracting away the gas and uh, having gasless transactions but also in the long run to have recovery because obviously your identity is like the most important thing and this is like you can use money but and, and that can be very bad but if you lose an identity like this can be detrimental um, so you can think of world coin like this what you want it's, it's controversial, but obviously they made a good decision there relying um, on smart accounts. How um, many uh, smart accounts has WorldCoin set up by now? They have like millions of users, right? And I know they were setting up on L2s and they will eventually have their own L2 as well. They must represent a significant portion of all smart accounts right now. Yeah, I think over 3 million right now. So they, they are the project that's creating the most smart accounts at the moment. That's insane. So we can imagine, like you said, the future where, you, where every person in the world or every user, internet user, hopefully, <laughs> if Web3 transcends uh, our little circle and takes over the internet, that every person, and especially if they have a WorldCoin ID or some sort of mm -hmm. humanity, will have a smart account behind it, right? Yeah, I think every person will have multiple smart accounts even. <laughs> Yes. So, uh, the role of Safe then, like in this landscape of like different modules and different specializations, you kind of alluded to it in in uh, coordinating these different uh, players already. And we're we're talking. We recently enabled uh, four thirty seven standard compatibility, and I know we're we're working on let's say gathering some sort of uh, ecosystem around. We already have. The guardians we have a whole ecosystem of builders we've hosted many hackathons we have an accelerator coming out which we'll share uh, more at the end so uh, what what role specifically do you think safe is playing here um yeah so we, we've 
essentially from the beginning, but definitely since the, the spin of uh, Filmosis, so the last two years, we've been very much con convinced that we're not building a product, we're building an ecosystem. Uh, like there is value in uh, like the, the smart account ecosystem being built around one like interoperable uh, standard or like uh, protocol or like implementation um, because that uh, prevents fragmentation of the ecosystem that prevents uh, vendor lock-in as well. Um, like you don't want that uh, now there's like uh, MetaMask coming out with their own smart account it only works with the MetaMask browser mm. extension and then there's like trust coming with their own with smart account and like then we have we lose this portability of accounts uh, which is one of the coolest things of web free that you can have mm. a wallet and then use the same account with a different wallet if you uh, don't trust the first wallet anymore or you want some other features um, and so for, for us it was important to build this ecosystem of different solutions that may be targeting different audiences, may expose different feet, may have uh, yeah, maybe in different geographies, uh, but they all build on a shared layer, on a shared infrastructure. Um, and yeah, so, but we couldn't just like deploy like the modular like safe smart account system and say, go build the ecosystem. Like we first have to obviously uh, show that this is something that people would use, or like we had to kickstart the flywheel around it. So we built a safe wallet, which is a user interface to, to save smart accounts where you can create smart accounts. You can uh, use multi-signature functionality, spending limits, uh, some like basic smart account features. Now it's also doing uh, like sponsoring of transactions. So all the, the safe transactions on, on the Gnosis chain, for example, are, are for free and like it, it exposes some of the uh, the features and it has been onboarding a lot of people to save smart accounts. Uh, but the end goal is actually much bigger than this one entry way to to save. Uh, so save for it is like uh, one thing. Maybe in in the very long term, it doesn't even need save for it as it is today anymore uh, because there's going to be all these specialized uh, smart contract vaults out there that hopefully all built on uh, on the safe smart account and leverage its modularity, uh, but they onboard their own user bases on their own wallets. Uh, we have this, this ecosystem that then uh, is interoperable with each other. Um, it doesn't create vendor lock-in, and it also optimizes to uh, reuse components, so we don't have a situation where too much uh, smart contract code is written and there's additional uh, risks of, of, of hacks. So there's, it's optimizing on like security and interoperability, uh, and that's, yeah, that's essentially the long-term idea for for the safe ecosystem. And you mentioned guardians, which were like which are uh, advocates of of this ecosystem in our community. Uh, these are experts that have been uh, seeing this vision for for an early time, and we just nominated them to be guardians with, within the community to uh, to bring forward this this idea. Um, but yeah, we're quite lucky that we've had quite a few early projects uh, like embracing this. And like you mentioned, uh, CoinShift, um, they've I think it's already been four years that they've been building on Safe. Um, like others, like Multis, uh, also were were quite early or Lin Wallet. Like and, and we already have this massive ecosystem. I think it's now 
somewhere between 50 to 70 teams that exclusively build on SAFE and that contribute to this ecosystem growth. And it's going to be uh, just continuous flywheel where the ecosystem is, is going to be like so big that it, it becomes obvious that you need to build on that versus trying to like, build your very custom vendor lock-in kind of system mm. because you, you lose exposure to, to all the that user base. Mm. That's awesome. And of course, we are very excited and proud to be one of the safe guardians as well and looking forward to contributing more. Uh, and so being positioned as an ecosystem kind of core or coordinator, uh, often we find that the, the unifying vision or culture or values becomes like even more important, right? What do you think uh, brings people together in this safe ecosystem? You mentioned a couple of ideas there, the kind of openness and interoperability. Right. And, and of course, there's a larger vision of like making Web3 adoption even easier and faster and possible mm -hmm. through account extraction. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add about the culture and values here that bring people together? Yeah, in general, it's, it's definitely this, um, the shared vision of uh, making smart accounts the main accounts in Web3, uh, that all the ecosystem participants are are somewhere behind, uh, but it also feels like the the collaboration is a key part of it. Um, yeah, um, like in, it's like this saying of like go fast, go alone, go far, go together. Um, like this is going to be a long journey, and if you want to achieve this, it's, it's more of like a collaboration rather than uh, some single team just pursuing that. Mm. Um, and I think one of the key values of especially our ecosystem is the security. And uh, like resilience, which I think will be very crucial, and it only shows when things go wrong how important it is to optimize uh, for that. Um, we've had the, the luxury, in the sense that we've been building smart accounts uh, for over five years now. Um, so we, we've seen we've been already doing that when there was like the, the big parity uh, mm -hmm. hack. Uh, so like a smart contract wallet that was hacked and like millions of uh, US dollar worth of assets were, were frozen um, and like thousands of, of teams suddenly had like their, their, their entire uh, assets frozen. Um, we definitely don't want to see this again. Uh, and there, there are probably all the ecosystem or other teams that uh, optimize more on like move fast and break things kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Like obviously, it's interesting to 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 like explore all the, like because there's going to be a lot of opportunities within uh, smart accounts and to explore and chip features fast and uh, to be the one that's innovating. Um, and it sometimes feels a bit frustrating within the safe ecosystem how slow things move still. Uh, but this is by by design for sure because um, yeah, it's like. The, by now, there's so much value and traction on, on safe mm. contracts that we cannot just do introduce breaking changes overnight. Um, like there's over 60 billion worth of, of assets secured through safe. Uh, more than 10% of the entire USDC supply is on safe. Thousands of, of, of crypto punks. Uh, like I recently saw a, a tweet that said safe is probably the only uh, smart contract that if it would be exploited, that there would be, uh, that the blockchain would be rolled back and there would be hard for. Um, yeah. It's like, uh, not sure it could be, but <laughs> it's it's definitely 
something which signals to us as an ecosystem also that we should continue to price security. Like there's definitely no room for forever there um, in terms of yeah, uh, taking risks on, on the smart contract mm. layer. Mm. Definitely, yeah, the further down the stack, the more important uh, security and decentralization for resilience and yeah, uh, kind of censorship resistance, all the good stuff that, that we need, right? Security and so on uh, are important. Uh, whereas for the up the stack, innovation can happen much faster, like we said, with the different wallets and so on. And that will happen through the ecosystem that we have around us, the friends that we have made along the way. Of course, one uh, kind of, I guess, sister or parent and related entity that has moved fast and has launched recently, really exciting, is Gnosis Pay, right? And that's, again, one key example where safe is invisible at the back end, and you just hey, have a card, uh, have your stable coins, go and pay, go in, or go and receive your uh, payment, receive funds, and there you go. At the back end is a smart account. Uh, and in Singapore as well, there's a really exciting card that has come up with a based app that, again, uh, just use the safe as an invisible thing at the back end. And suddenly now, hey, go ahead and use it for payments, uh, go use it for your everyday life. And so uh, we do see like this, this kind of separation from the infra and the application layer. Uh, we're starting to move towards a little bit future looking, right? We have a couple of these like early launches. Uh, what other applications do you think are, are you most excited about? Yeah. Um... Definitely everything that's uh, non-speculative. I feel our industry has been relying on speculative use cases for uh, for a long time, and it had its purpose. Also, it, it created, um, yeah, it meant that industries is well capitalized in, in the end. Because the, if, if people were coming in for making money, they they usually brought money as well. Um, but it, it's also, yeah, like if if the only purpose of uh, web free speculation is not gonna fly, uh, and we've seen early signs of this going beyond just like DeFi and able to uh, to um, speculate in tokens. So obviously, uh, more going in DeFi towards like interest based uh, solutions. So more uh, something that's less speculation, more like a savings uh, use case. Um, it's also we've seen the NFT ecosystem emerge, even though there it was also still a lot of speculative aspects to it, uh, but it also has, has others like cultural and uh, like art kind of aspects to it. So it just brought a new, a new uh, flavor. Um, and I would just like to see more like use cases that actually impact like humans in, in the real yeah. world. Um, and like one of this is, is definitely um, like payments, like Gnosis Pay uh, or, or based. Um, like moving less towards just having uh, money circulate within the DeFi protocols, but actually being used in a day-to-day -day manner. Um, so uh, to payroll, to uh, um, pay at, at the merchant, uh, these things are enabled for these solutions. Um, and they, they're also going to bring in a new type of user uh, because people that come in for speculative purposes they're willing to overcome quite some hurdles. So they're willing to sacrifice on the UX, they're willing to uh, maybe even sacrifice on, on security or, or privacy because they they do it in a calculated manner. They do it because they think it's 
like they can get more money out of it. But people that use Web3 more for the utility aspect of it, uh, and that this can be payments, it can be uh, social applications, it can be messaging, it can be gaming. Uh, so something where you actually want the utility uh, rather than uh, financial. Uh, yeah. Um, then you need to lower the bar for people to actually do it. Like you need to improve massively on the UX, you need to improve massively on, on security, and you need to improve massively on, on privacy so people are actually willing to, mm. to do that. And, and I think that's, um, yeah, that, that's why it's also so important that we move towards uh, like smart contract based wallets, uh, smart accounts. That's why it's important that we create scalability, and that's why it's important that we. Uh, have privacy, uh, so the, you know, like the, the three transitions that yes. Vitalik Buterin yeah. also mentions. Like they, it's like a like they enable mass adoption, but they're also required for uh, for or like they, yeah, it's it's kind of both ways. Like we need to have the applications, and then we need to have these three transitions to actually make the the people use these applications. Yeah, let's go there now. So Vitalik talk, talked about the three transitions. So there's smart contract uh, wallets or smart accounts, and then the other two are L2 adoption for scalability, so things are really cheap and fast, and also privacy. So let's go to the L2 scaling first. R right now, we already see that the rollup-centric future is here, right? We have so many rollups, and then we even have like company-specific rollups like uh, Base, and then what, perhaps application-specific L3s are going to come out soon since everybody has their own stack to do that. Uh, and like you said, uh, we don't want it to be fragmented. and Luckily, from a smart account standpoint, we have that vision. But from the L2, L3 competition, it seems to me that that is the direction that we're heading. We're going to see quite fragmented stacks for uh, different like optimistic rollups and how they do fraud crews, how they do data availability. We're going to see different uh, ZK stack or like recursive rollup, fractal scaling rollup ecosystems. They are separate because they're going to use like different provers and different kind of like bridge uh, standards. Mm -hmm. And so uh, how will SAFE evolve or how will smart contract uh, wallets evolve in this multi-chain landscape, right? And I know Vitalik touched on uh, a possible solution, which is then this idea of key store contracts that you can control uh, all of these accounts just mm. from like one uh, source of truth. Is this something that we're building today or we're hoping others will build? How do you think this is going to play out? Yeah, um, it, it's definitely different uh, with the transition to, to smart accounts. Uh, suddenly, accounts are in a way chain specific. Uh, so private key accounts, the nice property is that if you have a private key, uh, it's res results in the same public uh, public key or public address on all EDM networks. So you can have one key and it, immediately you have an account on all EDM blockchains. Um, with smart accounts, this is a bit differently because they're actually smart contracts that are deployed on the blockchain. So they need to be redeployed on each of these networks and there's um, there's like some tricks that can be done there where you can uh, calculate the address where it's going to be deployed even before you deploy that contract and you can in a way already use it to uh, to sign messages before it's even deployed and there's some some like magic like uh, yeah tricks that that are being done um, but in the end it, it still leads to the challenges and especially when we go into a world where there's maybe a new Layer two, layer three, mm. every day. Um, this this is going to be quite challenging uh, to see how it all interoperates. Um, 
and ideally like, there's some like for example on the optimism uh, in the ecosystem there's like this vision of the, the super chain where it, it uh, it's providing interoperability of everything within the optimism ecosystem but then how does this play together with the uh, CKEDM mm. ecosystem and like yeah, you're missing like interoperability mm. layer there um, and also when you yeah, I, I'd wish like if you spin up a new chain that there's somewhere like a checkbox hey also includes the uh, to save like smart contracts in, in the genesis block and it's mm. like, super easy to just have safe support everywhere right now it still requires someone to deploy like a proxy factory deploy a single contract and deploy this like entire smart contract uh, system on, on each mm. chain uh, it doesn't need to be like a specific team actually it's like a deployment process anyone can follow and it results in the same the contracts being deployed at the same addresses in all EVM mm. networks um, so that makes it a little bit scalable but it's still not perfect um, but still in, in the long run the smart, smart accounts actually enable much better cross-chain interoperability because they uh, they could do something like I mentioned before where the contract is controlling a contract on another mm. chain or a smart account is controlling another smart account different chain and then you can trigger a transaction on one chain, uh, use assets from another chain, and interact uh, with a DeFi protocol on the third chain, all within one like user operation, one one transaction, um, and that's something that cannot be done as, as seamlessly with uh, private mm -hmm. keys. Um, so long term, I think smart accounts will be massively like important for like abstracting chains completely, so that the user doesn't even need to care what chains they interact with. Uh, but in the short run, it will actually lead to more complications and more challenges uh, from a user perspective. Mm. Right. So we might see a, a bit of a painful period <laughs> before hopefully uh, smart accounts can be one way to unify this walled gardens that are being set up between all of these ecosystems, all of whom want to gather their own network effects. And yeah, th there are other topics around the fragmentation as well, right? One is some of the uh, rollups do have native account extraction. Uh, players like Ziki Sync and Starknet, uh, on those uh, chains or L2s and environments, how does SAFE work, right? Uh, do, do we have to do something different there? And also, uh, I'd love to touch on if you have some thoughts around MEV, right, which is going to be huge. And if, if there's order flow that's happening in specific L2s and L3s, and the, the entry point is going to be uh, the smart account or, or smart wallet. So, uh, how would that change as we also then have all this uh, application specific and like a whole kind of a infinite amount of like rollups, rollups, L2s, L3s? Yeah. Um, not sure I have uh, too much of an opinion on, on MEV actually. Um, at least I. I haven't seen too much being built leveraging smarter concepts actually uh, like going to that direction. One one notable exception is maybe the uh, the MEV guard that Yearn, the Yearn team built. Uh, so they have um, like a guard and that's like a, a separate type of uh, extension to the safe. So we touched before on uh, mm -hmm. modules that's like adding new logic uh, or new access control to, to mm -hmm. save and uh, guards are actually 
then uh, locking into the transaction lifecycle and can have additional logic within that transaction lifecycle. Um, so the UN team there built a, a guard. Um, they're quite similar to the Uniswap hooks uh, mm. in a way. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe some people know that. Um, but they build a guard that actually defines uh, like who can actually put the transaction into a block. Uh, so they can actually say that uh, in flashbots, like that only within flashbots the, the transaction can be picked up and they cannot leak and someone else can uh, extract yeah. the MEV. Um, so there's some, some value there from, uh, from from smart accounts, but there's probably going to be more, uh, especially on like also cross-chain uh, MEV protection that, that will be explored. Um, yeah. No, the, the, the first question I don't, I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. On, on MEV, it, it seems that well, to me, I think this is new area as well. But then, you know, assuming that because we are the, the first touch point, so to speak, and we get the first uh, look at the uh, transactions that are happening and therefore the order flow, so to speak, from the users, right? Then, uh, interestingly, smart accounts can be in a position to then like monetize that flow, right? Be it in like, how do we share that? Uh, with with what kind of other parties, or how do we then facilitate some sort of uh, matching or or like solving between the different uh, uh, MEV pools of this fragmentation, right? And this kind of like getting into intense, which we will cover later as well. <laughs> uh, but yes, the the other uh, part was around native account extraction and how that might change the game as well in this multi-chain landscape. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Um... So for like safe is only available on EVM, fully EVM compatible networks. Um, so something like Starknet, which has native account abstraction, uh, like safe is not uh, available uh, because it just means yeah giving up on certain technical assumptions, potentially even like security assumptions, and we didn't want to uh, do this at, at this point. There's some teams that have been thinking about porting a safe version on. On Starknet, um, not sure where where, where this is at. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, obviously native account abstraction would be an ideal case scenario. Um, however, on Ethereum layer one, I don't see this happening in the next three to four years uh, because it would be too much of a, of a of a breaking change, and like it takes a long time to implement these EIPs mm -hmm. um, to this like low-level changes to the Ethereum blockchain. Um, however, on layer two, I, I do see there's uh, ways to, to experiment. Um, so that maybe some chains will implement ERC-457 style uh, like bundling network, but as an EIP, so uh, as, as part of like regular uh, like blockchain clients that, that take over this, this responsibility. Um, or also other layer ones like uh, Luxo as uh, like a native account abstraction implementation. Um, yeah, it just means, as I say, it's it, it's a bit challenging from just an interoperability standpoint. Like, how can we have something that mm. like as as soon as we have deviation, it, it creates some challenges. Yeah. But I think it makes sense because then we can experiment on layer two. And if we see something actually works uh, in native account abstraction, then we. Long run, move it down to to mainnet. Got it. Yeah. 
we will find more solutions to address like this this fragmentation and hopefully uh, it does not come at the expense of uh, user experience security all the things that we talked about another interesting area uh, which is also part of the three transitions that vitalik has mentioned and i still feel that is underappreciated today uh, is privacy right and it almost seems that we have taken it for granted for for now uh, and also or we are not willing to make the trade-offs it seems that anytime we want privacy we need to sacrifice some form of like cost or ux or uh yeah uh, the design is, is just more difficult more complex so uh how important is privacy vitalik puts it as mandatory right like non-negotiable as part of these three items uh, but so far among the apps and the wallets that we see built even also in the safe ecosystem, I don't really see privacy as, like, <laughs> as such a crucial element. So what do you see right now? Or, or how are you trying to uh, shape the ecosystem in terms of privacy? Yeah, I think that's probably a combination of things why privacy is probably the one transition that's lagging the most. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, one is the, the nature of blockchains as a public ledger, like things is supposed to be public. So privacy feels like uh, it, it conflicts in many ways. It can also conflict with composability and it, it creates a lot of new challenges and it's just a hard problem to solve. Um, another one is users are surprisingly not really caring too much about privacy um, or too little and, or too late uh, usually. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's maybe because right now, yeah, maybe because we're still missing these more like real world use cases. Because it's it's one thing if you just on ramp by an exchange, you go into uh, Web3, you interact with DeFi protocols, and uh, the long term goal is to maybe off ramp some of this again by an exchange and, and have it on your bank account. Uh, then the only thing that you care about privacy wise is that it's not. Your assets are not somehow connected to your uh, real world identity, so that not everyone can just see like how much you have in, in crypto assets. Um, and maybe you care about not exposing too much information to uh, tax agencies or something like this. These are like the, the things privacy wise people care about them. Uh, but when we have more real world use cases, um, especially payments, obviously you don't want that anyone just publicly can see when you went to have a coffee or uh, like bought something new or like this. Uh, there, people are probably more uh, more cautious on, on privacy as, as well as uh, things like messaging. If if you have more uh, like web free native messaging, you obviously don't want to expose your, uh, your messages to other people. Or you have your digital identity and you start actually having like a like a public profile that's not mm -hmm. just a pseudonymous so it's not just a public address um, i think we need these things so for people to actually care um, mm -hmm. that's the second point and maybe the third point on why privacy is still lagging a bit is uh, it, it's a hard sell so it's not something that usually is uh, like the typical uh, profitable businesses in privacy or like the, because there's uh, Privacy is often off afterthought. There's not that massive of a of a market, maybe like DeFi ecosystem or like wallets or like other uh, pillars, and so that there's just less 
projects that are seeing an opportunity there uh, to make a sustainable business. There's maybe also less investors willing to, to invest there. Uh, there's just less of a of, of a uh, yeah, group of people that try to solve these these issues. But I do think like stuff like Vitalik's post helps uh, change that because it raises more awareness to the problem, which long term definitely exists because without privacy, like we will not succeed. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to me that it is an emerging issue and a critical one that, like you said, people don't realize until it's too late, right? And then by then your stuff is out there, right? If you've made like so many transactions on, let's say your notice pay, which I presume does not have a privacy feature right now, uh, and somehow I can link it to your identity, suddenly I know everything you've paid with. If I used it to say, donate to certain political organizations or support certain individuals uh, or causes that suddenly get uh, persecuted against or discriminated against, uh, then yeah, it's, it's kind of too late to retract it, right? And so private by default uh, seems to be important. Uh, I do see some real world kind of shifts though with the latest uh, Apple iPhone, right? They actually use privacy as one of the key selling points. So mm. it could be that we're just starting uh, that general awareness globally uh, to focus on, on privacy. And perhaps things like AI will also start to then make people more aware because anything you do online is going to be scraped somewhere, somehow, and anybody can ask <laughs> uh, some sort of AI to, to tell them uh, what has happened uh, in your life, right? So what if one day I can just ask uh, a certain chatbot, you know, everything about Lucas Shore's life? You know, is that something you really want? Uh, and it's not easily available today, uh, but in the future where everything is scraped and used to train these models, mm. that uh, might be a future. So uh, at the same time, we also think that it, it cannot come at the expense of UX and cost and speed. In fact, it needs to come hand in hand or even like it needs to improve the user experience. Like because, for example, with the Brave browser, right, one key selling point is that it's actually much faster and more secure because you don't allow all these third party like cookies and apps and like things to track you. So if we can achieve that level of like frictionless and improvement, uh, perhaps we will see more adoption. I think uh in, in the Solana space, which is more consumer focused, we, we do see something like Elusive where they just like uh, add on onto the wallet, you just like toggle and then you can start sending. Uh, it's going to be hopefully uh, much easier and hopefully it will be the same uh, in Ethereum ecosystem and all of Web3 as well. Mm. Yeah. So speaking of uh, uh, AI, just now touching on it, and I also want to bring back before we, we talked a little bit about uh, intents with the, the different chains and, and uh, how MEV can play out. Now we're getting to like the distant future kind of <laughs> predictions, which is how do these things, like the idea of intents and the idea of AI or LLMs, how do these ideas change account extraction as well? Right, with, with intents, there's been some thoughts around like, positioning uh, AA as a narrow form of it. Like, hey, you're just paying for gas. So you're just like removing part of the constraints or uh, you're just, maybe you, you're abstracting away the, the multi-chain component with the key store contracts or, and you say, I want to do this and you help me do it across different chains. But will, will we need to have another shift uh, as we see perhaps some sort of generalized intent layer or are uh, smart accounts actually 
intense intent layers or intent interfaces in themselves and we will eventually become generalized uh, and now just pushing that a little bit further if we do become so generalized can we just use some form of llm to say hey natural language you're my ai assistant uh i tell you what i want to happen and you help me translate that into what needs to be done i approve that uh and, th and that's it, right so this is the last prediction that we made in our uh in our research piece around the, the predictions of how ea will evolve <laughs> and this is the, the probably the wildest one yet uh, what, what is your reaction to this and how are we perhaps positioning or preparing ourselves for this potential future yeah i definitely think that was an interesting prediction um the like intense, in, in a sense, they're, um, they're they're just a much more user friendly way uh, to trigger transactions because it's more about uh, what the user actually wants. So what, what they intend, of course, it's more about the what rather than the how. So right now, transactions are like a user needs to go to an app and the app crafts a, a transaction and it already says exactly what's done on chain uh, to, to do that. But in a sense, the user just cares what's at the end of the transaction, what's, what's the outcome. Um, so I, wanna, I, I want that this other person has 100 more uh, die, and I have not more than 100 uh, die that's less on, on my balance. So that's like the constraint. And then you should just be able to give this constraint to someone else, and they then figure out how exactly this is done. Is it like a simple ESA uh, like transfer, uh, or is it... Um, maybe doing some like magic flashbot stuff and uh, flashbot uh, flash loan stuff is, is doing some arbitrage and at the end still the hundred die are on the the other side but someone else might have made some some money out of this uh, maybe gives you even back some some of this and your uh, your balance went out less than a hundred um, so that's the, have this this is the idea of intents to just move towards a more user-friendly way to, to do transactions and AI is, is interesting there because it, um, first off, it, it helps translate like more like human intents into machine readable intents, uh, like blockchain readable intents. So the user might just say, I want to send 100 die to this person. And then an LLM can formulate this into something that's more, that can be interpreted more uh, by, by machines. Uh, so it's more like send this ERC20 token with this token contract address to uh, this person's address, which is uh, like uh, yeah, identified. Um, and then this uh, more machine readable intent can then be uh, processed by uh, by third parties. And usually these are called like resolvers or solvers in like the, the CowSwap and uh, one fusion ecosystem. I'm not sure how the code in Uniswap X, but like the like some, some group of people that just takes these constraints uh, and has some algorithms to define what's the best path to execute that, maybe also in a way that I profit the most myself, um, and then they, they can execute the transaction. And these stakeholders, these resolvers, I also see in the long run be uh, controlled through AI agents uh, because they can then uh, apply much more uh, intelligent uh, like algorithms and uh, systems to identify the best path for execution. Uh, so I see AI involved in, in, in two ways. Um, and anyways, AI agents will have to be controlling smart accounts because mm. at least to my knowledge, AI agents cannot control private keys. 
Like, mm. but via via like a trustless oracle or, or something, they can actually co control uh, smart contracts or uh, yeah, just control smart accounts. Uh, and also, you you actually want this. Like, you don't want a, an AI that just has uh, like can do anything they want on chain, but you actually want to have ways to restrict the capabilities to build in security mechanisms uh, to say that like, even an AI agent can accumulate assets uh, or can uh, yeah, can trigger transactions on chain. They should do it within a, a certain uh, sandbox or, or like safe environment. Um, mm. And then I, I see also like intent-based systems becoming less of uh, I send assets to a smart contract, to a different smart contract, or I give them the ERC20 approved to a different smart contract, but rather maybe I install a, a plugin, a module on my smart account, and then this plugin module is, uh, is, is managing intents and has, in a sense, full access to my account, but only as long as they uh, comply to certain constraints of, of the intent. So I do see this also as a pathway for assets to be more staying on your account rather than being fragmented or, or split between different uh, like in, intent-based systems. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so we might see certain specialized AI agents as modules. So when I want to have a new functionality, I just, hey, here's this plugin and like here's an AI agent that will just handle it for you. Wow, yeah, yeah. that will be interesting. <laughs> so coming back to uh, a little bit back to reality, uh, let's try to wrap up with some more practical tips, right? Uh, <laughs> right now we are in the middle, well, in August of 2023. I think everybody agrees we're squarely in the middle of the bear market. Some people think we are the very early of the, the next bull cycle. Uh, one year ago, last June, you actually wrote about uh, bear in mind and what builders should uh, bear in mind during this bear market uh, when they're trying to build apps. And how has that changed in the last year? Do you still repeat the same advice, right? Or what, what would you like to refresh or maybe re-emphasize? Yeah, I actually just recently read that article again and I was surprised um, how many ways we were quite right there um, in, in our predictions. Um, so the article was written in the aftermath of, of uh, Terra Luna uh, crashing and us saying like this, this was like a paradigm changing event. Uh, like we're probably going to be in, going to a long-term a bear market based on that. Um, like this means many many things for many stakeholders. Like obviously regulators will be putting much much more attention to this. There will be uh, increased scrutiny from from regulators. Uh, there's going to be uh, people being like scared away uh, by by what happened. And, and uh, this was even before FTX. Uh, so that obviously then contributed even more to that. Um, but then also, like this has like a kind of chain of of effects, uh, be it like user adoption decreasing suddenly, uh, be it investors being more careful how they deploy uh, like money, projects starting to to fundraise, which may lead to to layoffs, and like we, we outlined a lot of these chain of uh, effects uh, last year, uh, and a lot of this actually happened, um, and. Yeah, one thing we also like put in there is, is that it's going to be a, a shift on uh, from application uh, focus to towards an infrastructure focus. But that's usually in the in the bear markets we see more focus on, on infrastructure, which then is the, the foundation for for next uh, bull market. Where in the bull market the focus is all on like 
what are users actually doing? Where is the traction? Yeah. Um, exactly. We we thought we we want to share some of of the wisdom we also accumulated over the years because it uh, like for no system has been existing already for the last three bear markets. Uh, the same mm -hmm. team since the last two. We have been going through this, and we we also set up in a way that we uh, we calculate this into our planning. We we want to grow sustainably in the long run. We we know that bull markets are usually like a lot of um, like exaggeration, and then we need to calculate with uh, with bear markets, which uh, take takes a lot of, of what we've been doing back to to reality. Mm. Um, so we, we were set up for this, and I think we also could take advantage of, of uh, some of the aspects of a, of a bear market. Um, mm. Like one is, uh, it became massively easier to hire top talent. Um, like in, in the last bull market, it was impossible to, to get talent to to like. Uh, commit uh, because it, it was just this war for for the best in, in the market and there was not enough people having accumulated expertise. Uh, this got easier for us and we, we because we planned for this, we, we are able to scale up the team while others might have to do layoffs. Um, so that's that's beneficial for us. Um, I, I think I, I would just share some caution to teams that the this the bear market could take longer than than they they might expect. Um, so I still think that the macro environment, like the high interest uh, environment, has uh, so, some some impact. Even though we might already have made quite some progress in exploring like what could be the next bull market themes, such as like maybe gaming, social, account abstraction, and tents. Like there's definitely things that uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, but in terms of uh, like yeah, capital inflow into the market, like as long as there's a, a high interest environment, like people are usually staying away from risky in investments, and like this is just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then where like things just doesn't take off just yet. Uh, and I speak to a lot of teams that uh, plan to like also fundraise in the next six to twelve months, and they they are hoping that there will be another bull market which makes fundraising easier and I'm just a bit worried that uh, yeah if there won't be like a, a big bull market usually also the fundraising uh, is, is a bit delayed or like the ease of fundraising so that suddenly there will be in, in six to twelve months a bunch of teams that in race to like high valuations during the 2021 bull market uh, that suddenly has to get new capital and if yeah, it might not be that easy to to recapitalize. Um, so also just caution to team that plan to fundraise in the next six to twelve months. Maybe start earlier to think about it, uh, put more focus on it. It will be harder probably than than the last one. Hmm. Right. Still certainly quite bleak, quite a heavy message that you have there. But certainly better to be mentally prepared and then pleasantly surprised than the other way around. Exactly. Right. Uh, and. Of course, at the same time, there are still people and uh, builders and investors around in this bear market. Uh, and in fact, SAFE itself and of course us at Longhash, we're still trying to support builders, even though the environment is pretty tough. right? So with SAFE, I know there are plenty of grants, hackathons uh, ongoing. And of course, recently, we just announced the recruitment. So at the time of recording, we just uh, opened the recruitment for the SAFE AA Accelerator, uh, which will have 
uh, 200k in funding, right, for uh, selected teams. Uh, and for the others, even if you're not selected, you still have a lot of support from the mentors and like the, the fireside chats. And so hopefully that will then still empower you to get ready to become sustainable and, and raise if needed for the future as well. So um, anything that you'd like to shout out for the, the call to action, like what should builders do today? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about a lot of opportunities <laughs> in the last hour, I think. Uh, like these uh, modules that can be built for safe, I think there's modules that can substantiate its own like uh, business in the long run, um, be it like recovery solutions or um, yeah, like yeah, use case specific modules, automations that like can be quite quite big. I think we're very much looking for for teams that would see uh, see the opportunities there, and yeah, in general, just see the safe. Um, the project and the core team very much as a support like we're trying to support this ecosystem in whatever way we can um like smart accounts will be coming anyways we're just there to accelerate the, the process to that um so we do grants we uh, collaborated with, with long hash for this uh, safe a accelerator um and we do also technical support or like we have with co-marketing uh, just come to us speak to us if you're interested in building on smart accounts, we're here for you. Same here. So with the recruitment as well, there are office hours with our team. So if you'd like to book time with the website, at the website, you can go there and schedule time for our team. We're very open to speak to builders and during the program itself, uh, as, itself as well, we will be, of course, available and make our entire network available with mentors and fireside chats. So builders, don't despair. There are still people here for you. <laughs> Keep building and hopefully one day we'll reach mass AA adoption. Thank you so much again, Lucas, for your time here today. Any final words before we go? Um, don't, uh, don't sacrifice insecurity. Like this is exciting, but that's, that's the only way that <laughs> there's no money lost. Awesome. All right. It's been such a pleasure. Let's wrap up here and we'll see you guys next time. Mm -hmm.